This is bullshit. America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging, and marketing of bullshit. Welcome to the uh, Necessary Bullshit Podcast. You yeah, guys. yeah, that old bullshit podcast, but, you know, an ongoing... It's a whole lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole lot of it for, for these days. But welcome back. You know, of course, this is our continuing ongoing conversation between a thespian and a philosopher, um, where we like to promote all kinds of fun stuff. Ian, why don't you take it from here? I'm yeah, sorry. I was just, you know, I was, <laughs> you're tired. <laughs> yeah, I was just hoping, you know, that our audience would be able to figure out who's who. Um, yeah, you know, we promote intellectual skepticism, uh, self-education, and deep conversations. Uh, so deep that by the time you get to the end of this podcast, you'll probably be asleep. <laughs> nice. Yeah. See, uh, it rhymed. Yeah, there you go. Well, so deep in the sense that probably for this one, because we're going to talk about something that I feel, you know, of course, Ian and I, obviously, obviously, when we talk, we sprinkle it in here and there, but we haven't had a full politics episode in quite some time. And I figured, of course, what, you know, if everybody's so worried about COVID-19 that let's let's take their worries away by talking about politics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you hint, yeah, you hear can, the. Can, can, can we have like a whole episode like where we talk about how great Trump is like hashtag MAGA? Oh, yeah, um, that's great. Or anything. <laughs> we just talk about like, oh, I just miss I just miss like the classic divide of left and right and all the hatred. And now we're all just suffering from the pandemic and there's just nothing we can do. But, yeah. When can when can we get back to like the political nihilism of 2020? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, we so we've got we, there's a presidential debate or not debate, but presidential race going on right now. Isn't that right, Josh? And um, it's it's been really interesting to pay attention uh especially what's going on with uh the candidates especially with biden and, and bernie and uh warren uh, all the others who have dropped out and you know we were t we were talking off mic i guess i'm just starting this well biden um, hasn't uh, dropped out i guess no no i well i right but we were talking about off mic about how all the other candidates who have dropped out uh most of them have uh endorsed biden Bernie has yet to, you were saying Warren has yet to uh, endorse Biden. Yeah, well, I just thought it was, it's interesting, too, because if you look at what happened, it's like, you know, obviously, if we if we go back to simpler times at the beginning of the primary, you, <laughs> you have, yeah, right, you have Bernie who took the first three states and, and the whole, like, progressive and revolutionary campaign seemed to, like, be unstoppable. But, of course, as many political analysts were pointing out, that it, it seemed that way because the moderate vote was being split between like Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg and, and Joe Biden. And the moderate vote, quote unquote, was split. And they were actually kind of right because the moment it was like, boom, bam, 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 bam. It's like when Klobuchar dropped out and Buttigieg dropped out, they both immediately endorsed Biden. Right. You know, what felt like that. And as soon as the moderate vote kind of kind of now came down to Joe you know, your good boy Joe here. Good he old just, Uncle Joe. Yeah, he just started sweeping states. And now, you know, fast forward, it feels like, you know, just it, this was all in the train wreck. It just like you just kind of woke up and, you know, it just has led to Warren suspending her campaign. And then you have finally uh, you have um, uh, Bernie suspending his campaign. And then just as of recently, Bernie kind of endorsed Biden, thinking it was irresponsible to continue to run were his exact words. 
Right, but you know what? I don't. I don't think he's like strictly endorsing Biden because while he suspended his presidential campaign, um, he hasn't uh, dropped out from the race specifically. Right? That is true, so, and the people have been so, saying that as well. But he was on like what he was on that he apparently, from what I read through CNN, is that he had said something about irresponsible running against Biden, and he wished you know, of course, he'll try to back Biden. And apparently, him and Biden have come together, and they're going to create like six different councils or coalitions of dealing different kind of democratic style problems that are happening uh, moving forward and and biden even made a statement being like you know bernie i i need somebody like you you had the fire and you know you, you're 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 chugging along and so i was like i don't know this so there seems to be some cooperation between the two and a little bit of teamwork aspects or so it appears i guess at this stage yeah, I mean, you could call it like a, a kind of draconian uh, teamwork. I don't know. When I hear I hear coalitions and and uh, between the Democratic Party, it just it it sounds menacing. But I mean, you're right. It's 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 probably and it's also too. You have to a lot of this is you have to put on a face. You know, you're trying to win an election. You have a public image that you're trying to maintain. Of course. So well, um, and with Bernie especially, I mean, this. Well, first of all, I mean, let's just you know talk about the elephant in the room with Bernie dropping out of the. Uh, suspending his presidential campaign there is got to be no way in hell that he runs in 2024 like that's that would be insane for me it's insane to think that he would would run again i mean it's, it, it'd be like if hillary ran uh this presidential season i mean I, she had such you know sort of i, I don't want to say colossal loss but the fact that like after her, her losing donald trump and all of his base shoving that in democrats face Obviously, uh, Hillary Clinton is not a great candidate uh, for the Democratic primary uh, party right now, rather. And with Bernie, while he certainly um, has a kind of fire under him uh, for the Democratic Party, he still sort of represents, while he may be more on the moderate side, he certainly represents a more... Um, a far left version of the Democratic Party, and Biden seems to ha have captured, you know, those. He's ca he's he's captured a lot of minority voters, and he's and he's got the moderate vote. It seems like, and um, I just can't see Bernie really showing his face in the same uh, way ever again. Sure, you know, and that's and that's yeah. I guess that's a fair point to make. I mean, I don't really know. This is something that I, I have not shared with you. So, you're, I'm your you know listeners. Ian has no idea what I'm about to bring up right now. So, Ian, you're just going to kind of go on the fly oh, with God. this. He's coming out as a Marxist. <laughs> no, actually, it's funny that you say that because the article that I want to talk about is it's the the title of the article is called "Leftist Policy Didn't Lose: Marxist Electoral Theory Did." <laughs> So and it was it's Great. interesting. Good. So it's I'm from, interested. Yeah, it's from WashingtonMonthly.com, and uh, one of my old professors had posted it, saying that like it was kind of like ravaging his brain about this questioning. And so the the article itself is basically, of course, it is a leftist publication. So you know, obviously, Ian, sure. When I send it to you, take it with a grain of salt because you know it is heavy trying to influence the left. But it's by David Atkins, and it was written on April 11th, um, so just a couple of days ago. And he was okay. essentially he was essentially saying that what what Elizabeth Warren started to do. I mean, he didn't say this, but I'm actually kind of linking up to what I think he's meaning. So Elizabeth Warren started to kind of move towards a moderate pitch. She kind of backed down on Medicare for all. Um, she kind of like switched her tactics around. Obviously, you had people like Pete Buttigieg and Amy Amy Klobuchar. They were all towards trying to get this moderate vote of saying that Bernie and other people were even too far left. 
And he was trying to make a point that he says, if you really think about leftist policies, progressive policies, even even Biden's policies are still farther left than Clinton's were back in in 2016. And even so, there's been a lot of people in Congress and a lot of people in the government in general that have been voted in by progressive policies. So he says, overall, like there's been a big shift of what the Democratic Party has done, but their biggest failure is assuming that there's really no class divide, that the working class, they believed that the working class rural people were, were they're part of the Democratic Party. They just needed to be shown that capitalism are their chains and they needed to break out of that and they could be empowered. And Bernie thought that like this revolutionary style was also going to get those kind of independent, moderate voters, a lot of rural kind of voters. And what he was trying to say is that failed. Like, yes, he got some younger people, but not enough younger people to come out. And he didn't really kind of get the support from the working class as he thought like his his campaign would. And that eventually, I think, kind of led to his downfall, even Warren's downfall. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think with I mean, in uh, comparing uh, not Biden, but uh, Sanders and Warren, I think Warren played a lot more heavily on the identity politics and I, I just don't think that looks good to the majority of uh, Democratic uh, voters. Um, and, you know, that's not in, that's not including me. Uh, but with Sanders, I mean, he certainly had that, you know, sort of old school Marxist, uh, you know, class warfare uh, fight yes. that he was trying that he was trying to push. And I, you know, while there are many Democratic voters who certainly felt that and and he and what's interesting too is that i feel like uh sanders is one of the um recent candidates who's been able to sort of rile up younger voters more so than any other candidate in the past at least as far as i can remember or at least hearing about um and while that is certainly a strong motivation for people to sort of come to his camp i i think i mean you know uh, i haven't read this essay that, that that you're talking about but uh, you know, the working class has been for a long time uh, sort of in the uh, on the right. You know, this is why Trump was able to win in 2016. Right. And it's because that they are have been not necessarily secluded, but they've been sort of fostered away into, um, you know, rural communities. And it's those and they and rural communities just happen to be more conservative anyway. And it you know, and a lot of the times there, you know, uh, there are a lot of manufacturing jobs, a lot of jobs in, in uh, fossil fuels. And so somebody like Trump can come along and sort of placate to their, uh, you know, to to that voting block because those types of jobs are actually starting to go away. And so he's able to talk to them about that. And um, I, I think where Sanders fails is not necessarily in that realm, but the, the fact that he Sanders is trying to attack things from the top, right? He's not he, he he's not really trying to work at the bottom. Even though he's talking about the working class voters, he's still trying to attack capitalism from the very top, right? He's trying to say that like all, you know, these uh, everybody in government has these uh corporate sponsors and we need to sort of dismantle capitalism as a whole in order to prop up the working class and the working class really are just concerned about making money about being able to sustain that and well what i interpreted too is you know was able to call to so right well i think what i what i kind of got what i pulled from it and thinking about it is i think as essentially what he was trying to say is that the way that bernie 
Bernie was kind of saying that like if if I if I keep talking about going after the wealthy and going after the the greediness of capitalism, he was trying to say that to the working class people, this is a going to help you if we do this. Because they're thinking that it's a cultural separation, or like you said, in the Marxist theory, it's it's the class struggle, it's the capitalistic structure that's led to their downfall. Yeah. And he believes that these people, you know, they they culturally follow what they want because they want what's best for them. But he failed to, to mention that a lot of these rural people, they ideologically also believe in conservative Republican values, not just, you know, in everyday life. They actually strive towards that whatever billionaire that, that Bernie might have been shit talking or things like that be like no 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 i like that our country allows people to get that successful yeah yeah because then maybe it allows me you know you know matter how unfounded that argument might be you know if there's no realistic thing if at least if you feel like you have a chance that's better than feeling like you don't have a chance right yeah and you know that's also sort of the reason why too why i think it 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 benefited sanders for for not going down the uh, identity politics game that like clinton did in, in 2016 you know we've i know we've had this conversation before but but calling basically the the voters that you need you're calling that base you know deplorable right for being conservative um and that that sort of thing just doesn't help you <laughs> it alienates them even further and you could be very well fighting for their benefit but if you demean them you if you talk badly about their intelligence or if you say that they're not important anymore that their ideals are out of date then you know those people push back i mean it, it goes to show too a lot of them um in in 2016 were uh, obama voters and they were going to be they actually were going to be voting for bernie but because of uh hillary getting the nomination and then the sort of rhetoric that she had about um about that uh voting block then i mean they that's where they went to trump and obviously this is old news um but i think it, it i think it's interesting to sort of show how if you push and push the you know for lack of a better term marxist agenda Right. In in uh, sort of dismantling capitalism and, and trying to, you know, like have a proletarian revolution. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess for lack of a better term, I guess I'll give you lack of a better. Term. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, but but when that is your when that is your message, um, when it's you know, while it, it may have tangible effects to to push that and to implement policies where you sort of rein in capitalism, it it's it's in a way too abstract for a lot of uh, people to grasp, you know, because there are economic um, effects. Sure. And the problem that I have is, uh, yeah, again, the paper that I'm kind of working on now is this whole idea of assumption and intent and how they're kind of interwoven with each other and modern politics. And we'll kind of get towards this in our second half of the conversation of how each kind of sides view each other. But I feel like what, what is kind of happening or the, the mistake is that most people that are on the left, you know, because even me, there are some people on the right that I'm like, you are a fucking disaster. Like, I have all these same <laughs> thoughts, you know, what I mean? but I don't just go out in public and share this with this. Or I don't like yell out the people that respect what that guy says and said, this is why we talk about it all the time. We don't just say skepticism. We say intellectual skepticism, because what we should do is when you see something that you don't like or you see a policy or a belief, you know, instead of telling that person that their belief is shitty, just be like, you know. Try to understand it, first of all, and once you can understand it, why they believe in it, then maybe you can be like, well, wouldn't you think that this leads to that? And then you can have a healthy kind of dialogue about what these person believes, and you and I practice all the time, more of asking why, you know, or like, please clarify or tell me exactly where your mind frame is to kind of get your head around it to maybe pose a counter argument, as opposed to just looking at that person in the face and telling them that they're a fucking demon or a Nazi, you know, like, and I'm even on right. the progressive side admitting 
that like a lot of people on the left that take that aggressive approach. Now, granted, the, the, the thing where I see an assumption and intent is these people, like, in my opinion, the people on the left that are most notorious for shit talking the right, they're coming from a good place. They think that their way is is the way and agree. I agree with them. A lot of their things, how that their way is how the world becomes a better place. And they see the other side as blocking that, as trying to stop their version of a better world. And they're failing to acknowledge that, like most people on the right, also think that their way is, quote unquote, trying to make the world a better place or building the future you want to live in, per se. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's interesting, you know, you 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 bring up that we, you know, when we talk about skepticism for ourselves, especially in. Uh, in pushing back, uh, you know, some of these ideas that we that we see, not necessarily um, us together, but individually when we go out and, and encounter some of these ideas and, and we push back on them, um, you know, we, we we sort of refer to that as intellectual skepticism, which I think is right. However, I think there's actually a a, a worry or maybe a um, a. a, a consequence for uh for approaching conversation like that at, at least when it comes down to um uh when it trying to understand people's ideas that you think are maybe a little wacky for example we've brought it up a numerous amount of times but in this conversation that you had a few years ago with an with an acquaintance who called you a moron for asking a question sure. about why obama was this war hawkish president obviously yes. you know it's it's quite the claim uh, and, and so it's something like that needs to be, um, needs to be addressed. And so, um, when you ask that, that person now, granted, I, th I think you even told me, I can't remember if this was off mic or on mic, but this person eventually apologized. Right. And sort of, oh, like, yeah, hey, we, we sorry both, for that. and this is actually kind of more recent. We, you know, the, the following day was a little awkward, but we just kind of acted like nothing happened. And then just recently when I was in Portland before all the craziness happened in the world, um, yeah, we had <laughs> a kind of, we kind of had a moment and we just kind of was like, you know, man, sorry, I was a little, you know, heated that day, and I was like, that's fine. But you know, still, regardless of that, I felt, I felt like I came out of that situation on top because I had asked a clarifying question, and he resorted straight to anger. And it was one of those things sure. where I knew that the conversation was done. You just got to know when you know a, a conversation no longer is a conversation. Right. Absolutely. But I think you know the the issue here that uh, the issue here that we have to face is that. There are going to be times when people are so, so locked in, right? There, there's no amount of questioning that is going to change their mind. And so, you know, for an example here, a lot of this, I, I uh, what I'm most familiar with is sort of the, uh, the sort of atheism versus Christianity or creationism debate. I won't linger long on this, but when I was sort of early on getting into science and philosophy, um, you know, I got hooked on the new atheist movement. You know, there was people like Sam Harris, right. And Richard Dawkins, yeah, uh, the four Lawrence, horsemen, Lawrence Krauss. Um, yeah. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, um, various others. And I was like, Oh my God, like religious thinking is complete bullshit. It's a complete waste of time. It's, it's utterly ridiculous and, and complete nonsense and has no meaning or bearing on the real world whatsoever. Tell us how and you really so, feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, and so when I, every once in a while, it was, it was actually more than, uh, a once in a while, it was quite often I would encounter people who had, uh, religious thinking and I would push them on it. And I'm talking like 
I would really not get in their face, but I would really uh, try to get down into why they thought the things that they did. I mean, I remember having this whole conversation about like morality and why would you get your morals from the Bible? And they're like, and this person I was conversating with, they're like, there's a whole bunch of great uh, morals that you can take from the Bible. I'm like, oh, really? What about Leviticus and Deuteronomy? And, you know, <laughs> this this person, you know, didn't really have that much of a rebuttal. They got upset with me and then they pushed back on evolution. I was like, you don't understand. And uh, long story short, I had very many of these conversations where I would push people and push people. And it, it, a lot of the time it resulted in them just getting angry. Now, it happens to be that I was being pushy. But I think when you start to ask questions with people and having these strong beliefs with politics, for example, I think then you, again, you, you sort of risk alienating people. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be trying to push people and have, and have conversations, but I think that there is a danger. Well, I just want to, I want to get in on this further. real quick. So just to yeah. make some, yeah, just to make some clarifying yeah. points. Uh, another reason why I want to be um, kind of careful when we say skepticism is because people that are on the left that just say the right is shitty go, no, that's me being a skeptic. Like Josh and Ian, you guys are idiots. I'm literally doing what you asked me to do. You know, or literally what you right. recommend to do or the idea of simple skepticism where it's like, if you tell me, hey, I saw this movie and I really like this movie, you know, I'm not going to be like, I'm skeptical of you because you don't know exactly what my tastes are. So how do you know that <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this movie like you enjoyed this movie? You know, no, I trust you as a friend and a person. And if you enjoyed it, we have similar interests. And if you bring it up to me, I'm going to trust that. OK, I might I might enjoy that. I'll keep it in mind. That kind of aspect to it. Secondly. I'm not talking about like what you do is just bombarding random strangers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess for me, right. I, I, I don't really engage a lot of the times with people that are not willing to engage with me. So if I'm if I'm at a let's say a function, a, a barbecue or a or let's say a soiree of I love that word soiree. I'm at a soiree. A soiree. Yeah. With some friends and there's some people there maybe I don't know. We start getting on the topic of politics, you know, and then. I can tell that you can kind of read the room. And if somebody is wants to engage in conversation, most times that I've gotten into political conversations are with people that have just been open to wanting to chat about it. And then often it's like, instead of clarifying, you get a lot of like, well, that's dumb or that's, you know, why do you even believe that? It's like, but they're not asking, why do you believe that really understanding or trying to be generous or curious? They're right. asking, why do you believe that in a condescending kind of way? And so there's also a tone of voice and a way that you approach a conversation that really can help turn the tide of that but yes you're right for most people you can there is a danger to it but that's like anything else in this world i mean there's a black and white to everything there's there's it's there's a there's risks remember there's there's no real solutions it's just a cost to benefit analysis yeah for sure yeah um i mean and you're you're absolutely right i i just wanted to sort of no i mean out a little bit of course because you know you know my approach i mean we've talked about this like i i will just push and push an issue I mean, just recently, I mean, I think I, I told you about it. Um, I was having a conversation. <laughs> well, it wasn't a conversation, uh, but it was on Twitter where I got into another argument um, about um, uh, we were. T I think I brought it up. Uh, you were you were over bringing us uh, some. Oh, yeah. You're bringing over the mic uh, to our. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so there was somebody uh, making a post and sharing something about game difficulty and and people with disabilities. And so, I've, of course, where I opened my stupid mouth. And I got involved, uh, and I thought I, – because I think game difficulties are stupid um, and shouldn't be there. And a lot of people were getting after me saying, that, like, how could you be that? Like, it's not – you know, there are disabled people who can't play games. They need easy modes. I'm like, difficulty and accessibility are two different things. 
and I like really pushed that hard and um it ended up being like where they called me out for being a white philosopher and therefore my opinion doesn't matter I'm like oh, okay this is this is this is where we're going we're going to bring in race into this conversation and and it, it you know I just decided to stop it right there actually it was it was on me who decided to stop it but um you know well, that's, that's just, progress that's just Good me, you. me that's me. progress right <laughs> yeah so but no no that is you but i mean look i mean there's getting back to like the kind of political spectrum here it's it's not just on what people believe but kind of back to the how we're going to get through COVID 19 or this pandemic and what's happening in the political sphere because of that so i've been fascinated by the right uh essentially a lot of people on the republican side are are, are worried that that the Democrats are going to attempt to use this pandemic as a, as a springboard of progressive policy. Of course. And, and, and it's interesting because you have a lot of people that are upset on the left by that because it's like they're trying to show. So I guess what I'm boiling it down to is the end is this argument of this pandemic shows, you know, the fragilities of our society when it comes to dealing with something of this scale and magnitude. And maybe that means that we need some sort of change or, should we not like get antsy in our pantsies? I'm curious to know what you think about this whole kind of thought process on either side of what the pandemic means for political change or structure. Right. Well, I mean, I certainly think that for conservatives, uh, it's going to embolden their uh, ever growing and increasing skepticism of, of China. I mean, just um, <clears throat> uh, today, uh, you know, you noted it and actually my wife uh, brought it to my attention. That Trump is planning on defunding uh, uh, at least America's portion of the World Health Organization, which is a huge portion. America donates. I mean, last thing I checked, up to like twenty percent or something, something like that. Like that twenty to twenty-five percent. I know that we give roughly about four hundred million, um, and then I know that like that number is slightly like China, for example, gives somewhere around forty million, possibly less than that in comparison to what we give. So we do contribute the most out of anybody in one fair sum. So it would be. It would be a dent, you know, if if this if this goes through, because he's thinking about pulling funding for 60 to 90 days is what I read. Right. And so I <laughs> this is, you know, a lot of people might not like this take, but I, I'm of the mind that this is a, a good decision. Uh, maybe not is uh, maybe not pull funding entirely, uh, but hold them accountable because, uh, you know, under this whole entire crisis, uh, they let China get away with uh reprehensible things and withholding information and not letting doctors speak out and and help china uh keep things uh from us and and so i i am i i would like to hold the world health organization um uh accountable however i think conservatives in general uh with this whole crisis are going to continue uh to push back against uh sort of china, see that's an interesting know, take policies. because a lot of you know i guess a lot of the of course a lot of the left's most take on this is that he's attempting to and and almost kind of like try to take the shade off of his way of handling the beginning of the pandemic or the, i guess we didn't know that the beginning of well, COVID-19. and that's true that's true Political right because diversion, trump is, is absolutely culpable um for uh for this foul up right i mean we could we, he could have done so fucking much more in order to stop it however i i think it's still a good idea to hold the world health organization uh, accountable. However, so on the other side of things, with progressives and and Democrats, no, I, I want to keep. I want to. I want to linger on this for just a second. I want to linger on this for just. Okay. A second. Okay. Go ahead. Because I see. I just disagree that like yes, maybe something should be done with the World Health Organization, but it should be done after 
after this shit is figured out. I mean, I just don't look bygones be bygones that we might have fucked up in the first place. And yes, they should hold responsible that but we're in the thick of it now. And it just seems irresponsible to pull funding in the middle of this shit and not wait until it was all said and done and then do the repercussions of how this was handled. And right. Like, OK. Change so policies the- until after the fact. I guess I want you to clarify, like, do you think it's a good idea that he's punishing them where we are in this pandemic? Or do you think? Yes, I do. And so I'll tell and I'll tell you why. And, and that's because, you know, if so this is why I wanted to bring up the, the progressive side is because of this very attitude that you that you have about this whole thing, and not just about the World Health Organization, but about, you know, the pandemic and, and maybe where the Democrat. Obviously, I don't know all of your positions on where what the Democratic Party should do or where the progressive uh, should take uh, after this whole thing. But I do think that progressives are using this as a save human lives no matter the cost and the world health organization represents a an institution that is about saving human lives and to defund it is immoral and irresponsible and in, in under any circumstances and so i think is what that is it's a, it's a little naive and what we should be considering now I'm not for I'm now I'm not for for like let's get rid of the World Health Organization. I think it's important to have an institution like that in order to keep track of global trends and watching the spread of disease and 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 looking at overall health. I think that's an important institution. However, I think that it's it sort of goes in line with you know if a country if you're at war right with an with another country and you, it's trying you're you're trying to you know whatever the conflict is and whatever you're battling over if all of a sudden one of them starts committing war crimes during it like you know uh, torturing pr- your prisoners it, while this war is ongoing you know you don't want to like oh well it's fine right now it's fine to torture the prisoners now because we're at war afterwards then we'll get you maybe but during the war, and now you know what? It's okay. You torture the prisoners. We'll torture yours. It's all fine. No, that's not. That's I don't not think how that. I don't go. think that metaphor translates. I don't think that comparison is equivalent. Well, there, like, the I don't the think reason you can, why you, can, you, you cannot. Okay, please clarify because you cannot take a pandemic response, which is trying to, essentially, yes, obviously they did not handle it. I agree with you about repercussions. I agree with you that the first part of their handling of it was nowhere near what we could have expected by helping China kind of stifle what's going on until it was too late and we are where we are now. However, you cannot tell me that a war is the same stakes or the same context as as a pandemic. And the the thought of what to take, I guess, tell me, what, why are you saying, like, what's your metaphor even even alluding well, to? Because it just doesn't I mean, seem... Because a war is a, is a battle between two different sides where if you have somebody committing war criminals, the war still goes on unaffected, if those people are brought to justice or held accountable for what's going on, I'm just saying that it's like it's not unfortunately with a pandemic and needing proper testing and the the overwhelming of hospitals and the high number of deaths that are going on. I just feel like we're trying to get ahead of the curve here. And once the head of the curve is done down to stop more death, then we can handle what's going. On. I just don't feel like your comparison is equivalent. Well, I think a lot of people treat this pandemic like we're at war. I mean, Trump said himself that he's a wartime president. Um, And a lot of people, I mean, there's every uh, major uh, political uh, figure in in heads of state right now are treating this. They say, like, we are battling 
coronavirus. And so I think it's absolutely appropriate to to use that metaphor. However, I think to address maybe your claim here in in why why punish the World Health Health Organization is in in a way I, I don't necessarily look at it as an, in a punishment because you know what those funds could be doing it could be going to actually state funded healthcare not necess- not federal healthcare but like healthcare to individual states and giving them the money and relief that they need to get the proper tools uh, that we that we need to okay. to, to battle I might, this thing. I, I might be being nitpicky here but again your metaphor you literally said somebody was torturing prisoners and you're like no you can keep torturing prisoners because the war is going on. We're going to let you do that, and, and we'll deal with that when the war is done. Like, I just don't think that the World Health Organization not getting their shit together and initially is equivalent to to torturing prisoners, first of all. Well, Second I mean, of- if if they if they f- literally fumble this uh, the, the spread of information in order to uh, get doctors into China, I mean, like, literally, China said, like, no, we're not going to be accepting doctors, and we're not going to let you see our facilities. They're like, okay. Like no questions asked. I mean, and the the way that China has been so uh, so deceptive about their numbers and about when things started. I mean, because a lot of the scientists now uh, who are tracking this thing are think that that uh, coronavirus was we can trace it all the way back into November coming from China. And so if it was in China, then people were coming over to the United States uh, during that time. And, you know, we were, you know, we were silent about that sort of thing. And, and I guess I, I'm, I'm sympathetic. My only, I guess our only real, we can agree to disagree here. Cause I think our main separation here is, is even though people are trying to treat it like it's a wartime thing, I just don't think that that justifies you then treating it like a wartime thing because everybody wants to treat it that way, I guess. Like, if you believe, personally believe that... that oh, and, pandemic... I, and I'm totally, and I totally agree with that. Okay, yeah, that's all I'm saying. Like, for me, my personal belief is I just think that a pandemic or that a virus that's, that, is, that is attacking us or, or whatever you want to say, I guess attack is a little aggressive, a virus that's spreading through and causing negative health effects just seems to be a different context than a war. And, like, if you're going to punish the World Health Organization or hold them accountable for next time, This is something that we can revisit because the pandemic is something that's spreading and just taking lives. And the more that we neglect it or do it, the more it's going to start killing people because we can't stop it. The the virus doesn't have politics. The virus is not Democrat or Republican. You know, the virus is just doing its thing. Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, Josh, well, then, I mean, so maybe maybe we can uh, move on to we can take a break and move on to our main segment. But one of the last things I want to say here is that, you know, while I completely agree that we shouldn't, we actually shouldn't be treating this virus like we are at war. But because of because of that reasoning, I also don't think that we should be invoking the Defense Production Act and and ordering companies on what they should make. Interesting. I mean, I don't really know. I guess this is your libertarian side kind of showing through. I just because <laughs> for me, my my side is just like look, you see my colors, my true colors. Well, I just I just don't. Again, I just there there are parts of human nature that i find amazing and beautiful but on a grand scale i don't think that we could be the 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 thing that you and i disagree on the most is i don't think on average humans can be left to their own devices we will destroy ourselves we are self-destructive we are greedy we are selfish and on all that level i think a lot of that comes through on a larger side when we're left to our own devices more often where it's like 
Look, and maybe companies are trying to save their face image, so they're willing to do that. But if we need ventilators and we need things like that, and you can repurpose and at least keep people employed. If they're going to shut down these businesses anyway and repurpose it to at least make ventilators or to make certain things that we need, and that can keep people employed and that can help people through this thing, I just don't see any negative downfall to that. People are employed. Supplies are being made for people that need them. I just, you know, the only qualm you have is you took away my damn liberty. You know, to, to make that, which... <laughs> All right. I think again, I think that's a little reductive. Sure, that's fair. fair. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, I'm just trying to be funny here. But I meant, like, yeah. I guess it's just more in the sense of, like, outside of, of this pandemic or something that's massive, I would agree with you. And the moment this kind of subsides, if that stays on and continues longer than its shelf life should, I would agree with you. You know, I just think that the, sometimes there's different rules where, like, for example, when I'm a child... Sometimes my mommy slaps me on the hand to tell me to play nice when I'm not playing nice. And I need that, you know, we grow up as kids needing that sort of parental control. Now, I'm not trying to say that the government is our parents or anything along those lines. I'm just trying to say that in a perfect world. No, they're our God. Yeah. <laughs> but it's even worse. No, the, 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 the last the kind of last two things I want to cover, though, before we move sure. on to our main yeah. thing is, is one. I just wanted to bring up on on Mike here that the uh, I thought it was fascinating that the Trump backed Wisconsin Supreme Court justice failed to the liberal challenger in the swing state. And the thing is, is because that was a lot of controversy in in Congress because the Democrats were, were kind of chastising or saying that it was it was bad of the Republicans to not suspend the vote in Wisconsin because people would have to gather in order to do that. Right. And so there was a huge push for the Democrats to stop the vote from happening. But the Republicans like, no, we're ha we're having it happen. And then, boom, all of a sudden they were upset. It was it's just it was interesting. And that makes me think about what the dynamic of voting will be, which leads me to my second topic. And I guess these are both related. This idea on mail in voting around the country and switching yeah. and yeah. the pushback on that or the complications on that because of how much the USPS or the Postal Service is suffering during this. And are they kind of up to snuff to be able to to massively overhaul a lot of elect, uh, electoral process in the states that don't have that? Thankfully, as Ian has pointed out several times in this podcast, you know, Oregon is a mail-in state. But, Ian, the reason why I wanted you to talk about this is because you are a huge proponent of mail-in voting. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I would call myself a huge proponent. Well, I say huge it. because I'm pretty sure <laughs> you have talked about uh, like Oregon having a mail voting system and how much better that is at least three times on this podcast. <laughs> well, that's true. Like, so uh, like, yeah. you've brought it, you've brought it up, you know, more times than one. So I guess to me that means huge because I've brought it up <laughs> zero. <laughs> it's huge. It's huge. It's um, huge. Love it. Great. Melon's perfect. Love it. Yeah. Mail in the ballots. It's great. Um, yeah, so I, I think, um, yeah, I think we can certainly all move uh, to that sort of model. Here's uh, another another example of, of making things uh, life more easier for people. So here in Oregon, uh, we are the uh, one in two states who can't pump your own gas, right? Uh, however, due to the coronavirus, they are temporarily allowing uh, Oregon and For those of you that have never been to gas. Oregon, th let me say this. It's not like there's ninjas that will slap your hand when you try to access the pump. <laughs> um, we actually just, uh, we actually have people that are employed to do that. So they, again, it was the, uh, the yeah, they're idea. they're called gas attendants. Yeah, the idea was to stimulate a job growth, to have a sector of jobs. And if you take away, you know, if you pump your own gas, that's a whole job field that goes out, which is just the, on surface idea but i just thought it was funny when you said that like yeah we won't let you pump your own gas we'll stop you by any means necessary 
And it's like, <laughs> right. no, you just, it's kind of yeah. nice. You don't have to get out of your car. They come over, they say hi, they fill you up and you're on your way. So. I suppose so, except they fuck it up all the time and they don't top off. And so I personally, I'm, <laughs> I much prefer pumping my own gas. I, you know, it's illegal to top off station. here. What's that? It's illegal to top off in Oregon. Yeah, Surprise but fuck you, that. Surprised you didn't know that. that. Oh, I, no, I knew, no, I knew that. I guess I read it all the time. I go, you know, going to go to the gas station. And then plus I, I, um, uh, for, for my regular day job, um, as a delivery driver, I get to go to like little special gas stations and pump my own gas anyway. Um, you don't have a regular I, day job anymore. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, you know, like while, you know, at my regular em, employer, you know, while I'm temporarily suspended. Sure. Um, but do you think that, but, the, uh, do you, do you but, think that the anyway, what I'm getting at, what I'm getting at here, let me, let me finish this point And then I'll, I'll I want to, I want to hear from you is I think that it is such, it is such the obvious choice to make. And what I think is going on and what's been going on for a long time is that Republicans specifically, and this is the one time I'm going to be partisan on the podcast because I never have, um, is that Republicans are deliberately holding back on letting mail-in ballots go across the country. One, there is this sort of nostalgia, right? This sort of Americana, like, no, we need to come together. We need to get in these voting booths. It's fucking patriotic. You know, come out and stand in line for hours, <laughs> you know, and, and like, and vote. Like, it's it's completely insane. It's absurd to do that. The second sure. thing is, and I hate to sort of be the, the voice box for the Democratic Party, but voter suppression is there is a good amount of of evidence to show that shows that people of minorities, people in uh, lower economic classes have a much harder time to come out and vote on a weekday when they have to work, when a lot of them have kids. It's the same thing with uh, having it be not on a weekend. Andrew Yang was a proponent of having uh, election day be declared a national holiday. Yeah. No, and, and, I, and look, I don't think you're a proponent on the left because you, you don't go around spotting that all the time, but it, you right. cannot, but you are not wrong where if you look at certain, certain voting habits or patterns of, of different failed systems or what has happened. And, and especially when you look at the proximities of these, of these places where you're allowed to vote, you know, like one state yeah. will only have four. And you're like, what the hell's that about? Or you look at kind of like what happened with George's exact match law or even right now, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Was it that one um, was in the, I can't remember if it was Virginia or Kentucky that there was a mayor who went to vote, who was turned away at the door for not being registered. And he, and he basically didn't tell them he was the mayor, but of course an hour later he got a phone call and they said, Oh, you can come vote. We just put your first name where your last name was and your last name where your first name was is what they told him that yeah. that's, that's why they couldn't find him. And he basically made the speech that was like, look, what's sad is that I believe it. Yeah, I no. It. Yeah. And what he, he kind of made the speech. He goes, look, whatever you want to say, because I'm the mayor, I was lucky enough to get a phone call to why I was turned away and it was corrected. But a lot of mm -hmm. people may, you know, if you're just an average citizen and they say you're not registered, don't come you in. You don't have that luxury. You don't have that luxury of finding out why, or you're just going to go home and you're just not going to want to motivate yourself to vote. So it's like, he was just worried about the danger of inconsistency and checking people that are registered with this archaic system, you know, of, of just like standing in a huge line and waiting hours to vote when easily you can set something up documents by mail. Like for Oregon, it's like, we get it in the mail, we vote, we bubble it. It comes prepaid postage. We send it back. They get it. It's right, that and, simple. It, and it comes it comes weeks before the election. Oh yeah, weeks. And, and then you get a pamphlet mailed. We, and, 
what it's nice no, about it ahead. too is I was gonna say is what Oregon does as well is like even two weeks before you get or roughly I don't know it feels like it roughly two weeks before you get your ballot you they actually mail you the uh, the booklet of the, everything oh, right. explaining everything that you're voting on. You yeah. know what I mean? Which is huge to have. And they make sure to send that out to people ahead of time so you have some time to review those that information, even though the rhetoric in those are often very confusing and misleading. A lot of double <laughs> negatives. Well, seriously, right. there's a lot of double negatives or like you know, single positives. Or There's like some measures I'll read and I, I literally go, I don't know if yes or no is what I want here. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah. Like, well, guess... and you know, there, I mean, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a whole nother episode. I know. I know. Uh, I, but, just, that, um, that was, I just thought that was kind of funny. I, I just was, I was going on an anecdotal rant there. I'll, I'll tone it back course. in. <laughs> yeah. Reel it in, Josh. Get back <laughs> on the rails. Yeah. Um, no, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a no brainer. Uh, and especially in times like these, like it just, it just makes sense. Sure. It just makes sense uh, to, to implement something like that, have wide scale mail-in ballots and you know what? Have it like two. Have the ballots ballots go two months in advance. Like, sure. why the fuck not? I mean, you know, granted that also, you know, it has a whole lot to do with the Democratic primaries and the debates. Honestly, I think there once the uh, primary candidates are selected, obviously it's going to be Trump and Biden. But but once they have those, they should just have one debate, and then they don't talk to each other, and then we fucking vote, and by November they're counted, and then it's fucking done. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, well, and yeah, know. I guess you're right, and I think too, it's just more of you. You know, this one of my biggest flaws or my biggest pet peeves about our democracy is that we do not, we do not put any validity in the fact that we can vote. We love that we're a democracy, but the fact that we don't have a national voting day, or we don't have a system in place to register people as effectively and quickly as possible, or we don't teach people to value vote, it's just it's silly in a democracy to not, to not put the vote of the person on you know in in the high priority of structuring our holidays or structuring the way we do things but right i think it would be i think it would be great if on november 8th right that's it yes uh, no nobody voted i think <laughs> but you know what this is one of those things about mail-in voting that you and i can uh, officially agree on but i don't know officially, i guess yeah yeah but i guess but the seal of approval sure i'm just nervous because it's like what what Again, talking to some of my close friends that, about politics, we a lot of people are worried about Biden, and they think that Biden is like a sacrifice. Like, if you vote for Biden, you're technically— Yeah, big time. You know, people on the left are kind of saying if you vote for Biden, you are kind of going against what some people stand for because of his history, whether it be his vote on busing or whether it be his sexual allegations and all these different things that they're trying <laughs> right. to call out. No, I'm just serious. This is what's going on. And so for for me, it's like this is where I have a hard time because my problem is, is my brain is split into two things. First of all, Oregon, we are about to vote soon. I think they're going to mail our shit out here, uh, I think, at the end near the end of April. And I think we vote mid-May. But right. But before then, most of the time, everything is kind of established before Oregon gets a chance to vote. So what Mm -hmm. I try to tell most people is that, look, if Bernie like just me, you know, again, not Ian, the listeners, just me personally, if Bernie was (laughs) on my if Bernie would have been on my ballot, I would have voted for him. You know what I mean? But he's not. And I think it would be silly to write him in. It would be silly to not vote for somebody. Well, because it, gonna, well, because it's not going to be counted if he's if you write him. That's in. the point that I'm trying to say. Like, I don't want yeah. people to look at me and say that I like failed because I'm the any but anybody but Trump. You know what I mean? Like, they, I'm doing air quotes here, where there's right. some sort of negativity to that phrase. And it's like I at first, yes, if you are fighting for your candidate, like, and you want them to win, then yes, absolutely, you go with your heart. Don't vote for just not Trump. Like, especially when you're trying to do delegate. But we're already this far in. We cannot change 
you know, this is kind of where my indifference comes in or my like, I cannot change the fact that Biden has swarmed the primaries. I cannot change the fact that, you know, Bernie suspended his campaign and, and, you know, Obama like literally just endorsed um, uh, Biden. And there seems to be, like you just mentioned, huge promise that he will get the nomination. And if that happens, like, I just don't, I just don't think that people could equate or say that they're, they're less of a person for voting for that person because it, it it's it's because Bernie didn't get the nomination. It just seems silly for right. me for that to have well, that mind frame. Yeah, I mean, so I'm 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 of two minds with this. Like, one is like, you know, is, okay, let's replay 2016 the the election for a moment. Um, there, oh, sorry, uh, Google just tried listening into our conversation. Um, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton was the lesser of two evils, right? That was the message that came across. I bought it. A lot of people bought it. It was the message that Sam Harris, for example, was espousing, and I believed him. And it was sort of like, well, we, tr- Trump can't win, and so it's it's you got to vote for Hillary. She's the logical uh, candidate to vote for. And it's sort of the same thing that goes uh, that's going on right now. It's like, well, we, got, we can't let Trump get another four years. It's go, we got to vote for Biden. Like, if you don't vote for Biden. Like, then you're letting this bigot, misogynist, you know, uh, sexual assailant uh, stay in office who's completely immoral, right? And I, 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 while I can be sympathetic to that, like, okay, like, this guy's, this guy's gotta go. Like, all right. But if you can't prop up a candidate who can actually deliver on your promises, like, he is just there to sort of fill in the gap of like, I'm the democratic candidate, you know, like I'm going to have these, these certain things, but I'm still going to do some shady shit in the background because I'm Joe Biden to me, like sort of voting your conscience. While a lot of times people have dismissed that idea in the past, I think now is more important than ever because to me, it's, it's political nihilism to just like, we've got to win. It doesn't matter who the candidate is. Like we, it, Trump has got to be defeated. Like let let's bring in fucking you know Mussolini to beat Trump for fuck's sake because he's better than than Trump. You know. Yeah, but like, look, I, obviously look, I'm being I, hyperbolic. But. No, I know you are. But I guess the point that I'm I'm trying to make here is that I'm I'm trying to be as optimistic as I can. And when I talk to my friend who is also trying to be optimistic, you know, what we were discussing is first of all, Joe Biden, even though he doesn't have a strong record, nor does he have the policies that Bernie was going for or any policies that I would really recommend. It's still more left. A lot of his policies are more left than what Clinton's campaign was than what a lot of campaigns are. So there's a lot of wins moving towards that direction because politics is slow going. At least it's a, for me, his policies are at least a move in the right direction. You know, they may not be exactly what I want, but they're better than what has been proposed. You know, I mean, I said, if we're stuck with that, in my view, and secondly, sorry. And secondly, it's all right. It's okay. It just goes to it, it, the thing about Biden, too, is he could have the potential to choose a decent cabinet. You know, he could be pulling people in that I do think would be good to have in his corner that he would listen to and be advised by and can move forward from there. And possibly he could at least create a, a better norm than what we have now. And the thing is, is that your whole thing of like, oh, we can't have this monster. We can't do that. Yes, like there's a certain aspect of it that is that, but I don't think it's 100% that, Ian. And the, and the point that I'm just trying to make is is when it's time to vote and you see two primary names on that list, 
you are essentially choosing which one of these people would you rather have because they're the ones that played the game that got to this point. Uh-huh. Now, I don't have to agree with that. I don't have to like that. Yes, Biden was not my first choice. I did not donate to Biden's campaign. I've not followed a lot of his campaign. Now, granted, for this episode, I went in and read his policies to make sure that I could have like a, a, a solid idea of what I'm talking about when I say his policies are more leftist. Yeah. But the thing is, is that if I'm looking at that ballot, I can equally feel that I wanted my candidate to be there and I did not plan to vote for Biden and I did not want to vote for Biden. But I don't think that I would chastise myself or morally punish myself for choosing him because he's on the ballot. You think it would be morally chastising yourself if you didn't vote for him on principle because it's not someone like like Yang or Bernie Sanders? I don't think so, because I'm trying to think about where I want to go and where I want to move forward. Bernie Sanders maybe started a movement that the next time we run, he might have more success. Maybe Andrew Yang. <laughs> Get, you know, like I'm not talking about Bernie himself, but someone right, with similar right. ideologies. Like maybe he just put the front hold of like, oh my God, he, he's somebody who's labeling himself a democratic socialist who got this far. So it's like, or you have sure. somebody like Yang who didn't have the exposure that might be able to come back because he's still young. He might be able to come back when he's got more exposure. Who knows what it has that? And he might be able to move and grow forward there too. I just don't think that's my problem. I think that the left is wrong. And 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 saying oh, thank you. <laughs> no, shut up. The left is wrong in saying that like you are some sort of more like you are morally against your own beliefs if you decide to vote for Biden because you believe that Biden would be a better option than Trump. And I'm just trying to say that like I don't think that you could associate a negative like make me feel morally or ethically wrong for admitting or acknowledging that if I'm looking at those two names, then yes, on the surface, if I have to vote, Biden seems better than Trump. And so I'm going to vote that. I just don't think that I'm morally wrong for doing so, even though Biden is not the candidate that I I would have wanted to see on that ballot. Sure. You know, and I guess, I mean, we can, we can, we can take a break. uh, um, (laughs) But I, I think there is, we're we're continually running into this issue of voting for people with uh, specific platforms who we you know feel connected to one way feel connected to in another way oh this person didn't have the platform where i want or oh, this person is sort of close uh, i think it's this sort of popularity contest that a seeming popularity contest that doesn't really have the effects that people are after because most of the time uh, these presidents don't get done what they want to unless they have a Congress that, you know, just totally is on their knees, you know, sucking, uh, nope. you know, giving fellatio <laughs> um, or 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 uh, kind of lingus, you know, uh, if that ever happens, um, you know, to the president. Um, most of the time, presidents don't get their platforms done unless it's by fiat. And I, 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 I'm worried that this, continuing in this popularity contest will just blind people to uh to what actually goes on how laws are made yeah uh, you, know, you know i you, guess uh, my last clarifying point and then yes we can take a quick break and kind of move on yeah. to our last segment here but my yeah. uh, you know my last clarifying point is i guess i'm just trying to say that when it comes down to this this idea of what you want to strive for and what you want to be you know i am completely i'm completely on board when you're dealing with the race the way that our government or the way that our society has set it up. Like this is a democracy that we have, and this is the system that we have to follow. 
and I tried my damnedest. I donated money to a presidential campaign this year, which is the first time I've ever done that. You know, I've tried to advocate for for and and spread the word for the campaign I I wanted or the person that I pref- I thought would do the best job. And for everybody in these primaries that voted simply on the fact of electability, where if anybody that was on the primary, if you only voted for Joe Biden because you think that he could beat Trump, then yes, that is morally flawed in my opinion. Like I wouldn't have done that if I was in it. If I was if, okay, if I got to if I lived in Iowa and I got to vote in the Iowa caucus that that early, you know, and I chose Biden because I thought that Biden would be the one to beat Trump because he, like he's the most safe candidate. Yes, that would be wrong. But I'm not. I'm in Oregon where all that shit's already been figured out. You know, so for those of us or for those of us that tried and you stuck with your guns, like you did your best and you have to keep trying when we keep moving forward. But when we're at this stage of the game, I don't think that you can judge on the same rules as you can from a primary state. So I feel like we're using the same rules that we did on the primary about chastising people. Now on the main election, there's still keeping that i guess virtue solid where if you vote for biden you know don't and you don't write in bernie or you don't just not vote you know because like some people like god i I, like they're both terrible i'm not going to vote for anybody like i just don't think that that's the right move at this stage in the game that's my last little two cents all right till tell you what why don't we um we'll take a break Uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about um how the left and the right talk to each other or talk about each other uh, in other words, how Josh and I hate each other. So um, we'll uh, we'll see you back in a minute. And uh, for us, it'll it'll feel like, uh, you know, several weeks or months, probably, because I don't want to talk to Josh after this. Um, <laughs> and uh, But no, uh, you'll see us uh, here in a few and we'll come back to the episode. Sounds All right. good. We'll see you guys in a bit. See ya. OK, everybody. Yeah. Welcome, welcome back, back from the, the break. break. So, um, yeah. So so and essentially for, for this half of the episode, I. When I kind of approached Ian about episode ideas, uh, we, when we talked about wanting to cover politics, we we wanted to cover obviously what's going on in the spectrum of the political realm. But right. what we also want to cover is kind of more of a cultural uh, political influence here. And and for me, the the thing that fascinated me that has, has spent a lot of time in my headspace is this this the way that the the a lot of people that are that are right leaning or consider themselves Republicans, for lack of a better term view the people that consider themselves progressives or, 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 or Democrats have just been this weird dynamic and not just in a not just in a partisan or in a polarized extremist sense, but also in the sense of each both sides kind of thinks the other one is is quote unquote uneducated or stupid. And then both sides also think that they are how do I say this? They're misguided, I guess. The, the, a lot of people that I, I follow on Facebook that are that are right leaning, when they comment on things, they always like, oh, you know, the, the left just doesn't get it. You know, the, the left just I, I wish that they could, you know, really understand what's going on here. And they don't even see their own foolishness. And and then people on the left are like, well, the right don't even see their own foolishness. And and I just thought it was interesting that both sides, when they're you know kind of being genuine about each other and the sense of what they believe or don't believe, they kind of say similar things, and that was that was fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, they definitely they definitely approach uh, each other. They they approach speaking and thinking about each other's um, uh, political points of view in in similar ways, such that you know when it, when a when someone on the left thinks about uh, someone on the right or or a conservative. You know, they are analyzing like, okay, like, how are they not up to the times? 
right? How are, how are they not doing things right? How can we fix what they're doing? How can we push back? And vice versa, <clears throat> excuse me, conservatives, when they look at the left, it's now granted it's a different message. They're still sort of like, okay, these guys aren't, they aren't really catching up. They, they're sort of childish, right? They, they're not living in the real world. Uh, let's try and re-educate them or, or any time that they push us back, it's like, whoa, whoa there, buddy. You, you really don't get the picture. Um, and I think it's, uh, I mean, frankly, it's, it's sort of funny how they, uh, absentmindedly don't realize that they're both doing it. And again, this, uh, and you the know, point both of, sides think that they're, that they're absolutely correct. Yeah. But in a point of clarification too, I'm, I'm in this, in this talk, I'm not focusing on extremists. I'm not focusing on what the extreme left is saying versus the extreme right. What I am focusing on is kind of your more moderate person. You're, you're the person that kind of sees both sides, but maybe more on the right, like overall, as opposed to the left and, and vice versa. And it's these people that, you know, these more of these, these people that believe they're educated. I have this, I follow this guy on Facebook. I'm going to say that his name is John. His name is not John, but John's an easy, <laughs> it's an easy, simple okay. name to, to keep up. So, cause I, I just don't want to, call out this guy because again you know facebook is a place uh, love it or hate it like people are entitled to their own opinion so however what john posts all the time is he'll post articles of like different right-wing news medias trying to justify either a choice that trump made or, or possibly a situation that the democrats are talking negatively about and most often he likes to say stuff like you know if the left would just educate themselves you know, or mm -hmm. if they would really see what's going on here, the left doesn't really understand what's happening. They're feeding right into the trap, you know, all these different kind of conspiratorial like points. But he's not in, in his frame. This this John character, what I found fascinating is he wasn't the, that classic extremist. That's like, I'm going to say that they're Nazis or I'm going to say that they're idiots or they're libtards or I hate them. He is more right. legitimately trying to make a case that he feels that the left has just not done their, their their homework, their due diligence. And as somebody on the left that does a great amount of homework, um, you know, for our podcasts and the <laughs> amount, of, you know, the amount of shit I read, <laughs> Good you know, for you. Good for you. I know that. But a part of me just wants to like also being in a similar position. I feel anytime he posts, it freaked me out because I'm like, bro, I feel the same thing about you. Every every time that I see you post stuff, I'm just like, look, there's no sources like you. You post an article, but then you read that article and you realize you realize it's from a dot com, first of all. And then you realize that, like, at the bottom of the article, there's nothing that kind of clarifies or, or expands or, or gives any sort of information on why they're thinking that way. Or he'll post an opinion piece like, uh, you know, a solid opinion piece, which may be a good structure for an argument, but he cannot make the claim that people need to educate themselves. It's just, it's just interesting, Ian. Well, for sure. And I think, I mean, you know, first of all, what you're speaking to is largely what happens when people don't have the right education when it comes to how they get their information right or how they spread information. Most of the time, people see something that looks good. They're like, oh, yeah. And like, I'm not even saying on. that, like, and I'm not even but, trying to make the grandiose claim that the information that I find is all righteous and all correct. And like, of course. you know, I know I'm obviously understanding that I could fall into pitfalls, too. That's why I read his articles and I'm open to, you know, other things because I never want to be set in one belief or the other I'm, I'm constantly learning new things to try to mold what i believe or, or question or ask and so that's kind of more of a of a realm where you know my thing about he says educate yourself well what he is not doing is he's not 
researching the opposition and and trying to read articles maybe against his point and i and it sounds counterintuitive because who wants to sit here and go you know what i'm going to do today i'm going to read articles arguing against the things that i believe in <laughs> you know like you <laughs> right. know, nobody's really yeah. going to intentionally do that but you know i just don't think that you have level ground to stand on if you consume a certain type of media and you're going to say that you, your type is is right and and not only that though but that the this weird I- irony of uh, the big proponent on the right right now is to just to to discredit anything that the media does like they're blanketing the media altogether and saying that we have to discredit everything at the same time they're using media outlets to source you know certain things like whether it be fox news or or whether it be like other components it's a certain kind of it's a certain kind of media okay that clarify then yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, like, you know, the fake news is CNN and MSNBC, right? Hmm. <laughs> um, you know, th- those are the places that that we should be uh, wary of or, or like the New York Times, you know. Uh, but I think so there's a OK, there's you said a lot there. So there's a, let's un- let's unpack some of it. So, first of all, you know, in in lieu of your example with with your with your friend, John, that you that you follow on on Facebook, you know, the other day I wanted to. Uh, actually, it was just yesterday that I was doing it. I, I I wanted to check myself, sort of politically and philosophically, and where I was standing. You know, because a lot of times I get into arguments on Twitter and and various places online. What shocker! I, I know, and I am called you know of various things. I'm sort of lumped in with you know uh, sometimes with white supremacy or with. Um, uh, 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 what's the, the measuring of the skulls. I can't remember uh, the name of it uh, right now, but you know, and so I've been, I've been lumped in at times with something that you might consider as like far right or alt right or ultra conservative. I've been lumped into those categories. And so I'm like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I should sort of reevaluate here. Like, am I, you know, am I actually like falling into those pitfalls without myself knowing it? And so, my my first place I looked was a video uh, from Richard Spencer, and if you're and if for our listeners and, and maybe you, Josh, yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with him. But for our listeners who aren't familiar with Richard Spencer, he is this sort of uh, like pr- uh, prolific leaders of the alt right. He's very pro Trump. Phrenology, um, phrenology. He, sorry, phrenology. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah, that's I was, what I was it was on the about. tip. Yeah, people... I, I was I kept thinking of pharmacy, and I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> that's not it but obviously like, a good thing i was like i know it's, uh, yeah. I know it's like phrenology that's the word you're looking for right Sorry. yeah so i've been called i've been called a phrenologist before among uh, other things so i was looking into richard spencer and he's this prominent uh uh, uh leader of the of the alt-right uh he sort of you know gained momentum on places like 4chan mm-hmm. um and you know has propped up like this pepe the frog meme uh he's 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 basically a neo-Nazi. He's come out and 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 said things that you would allude to as being yeah. I mean, he's he's labeled um, he's he's labeled. You know, take this with a grain of salt because I don't think he dictates his own label. He's labeled an American neo-Nazi, anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist, and a white supremacist <laughs> who is known yeah, for his so activism on behalf of the alt-right movement, uh, mainly uh, right. during the uh, 2016 2017. So again, Richard Spencer is probably one of your most, uh, I guess, prominent modern-day racists. Um, I guess if you want it for lack of a better way to label him, but anyway, continue. Right. And so, uh, you know, I, 
you know, he was, you know, and he was one of the same, uh, he's the same person, you know, the, you know, the meme, you know, punch a Nazi, that sort of thing. It started with him when he was giving an interview on a street, uh, on a street corner somewhere. And somebody came up during the interview and like punched him right in the fucking head. And it's like, whoa, okay. And then everybody's like, it's okay to punch Nazis. I'm like, well, what if they're not Nazis? Um, anyway, well, <laughs> I, uh, Richard Spencer most certainly is, uh, an, a neo-Nazi, not a Nazi, but a neo-Nazi. Um, anyway, so I, I, I looked on one of his videos about, uh, Nietzsche because he's, he's a, he's a prominent, um, uh, 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 proponent of Nietzsche's ideas. And I'm like, okay, well, if this guy likes Nietzsche, like, and I don't think I'm part of the alt-right. And so I wanted to look into it because I'm, I consider myself a hardcore Nietzschean. And so, uh, as most of our listeners probably know by now. And so I was looking on one of his videos sort of explaining, Nietzsche's ideas and what it means for, uh, you know, for American uh, Westerners or sorry, Westerners and, and people of European descent in America. And I mean, left and right, he was getting Nietzsche's ideas wrong or at least making conclusions from them that any uh, any rational thinker in the field of in the school of philosophy especially people studying Nietzsche would be like, OK, that's complete. That's just not you're missing the point. So what it's say, what it would be safe to say that. He kind of did what what traditional people do, where he kind of overlaid his moral beliefs to what Nietzsche was saying. Like he's exactly. he biasedly saw yeah. it in the light because he wanted he had a goal in mind to prove a certain idea or ideology, and that's when he was focused on that. That's how he interpreted it. Yeah, yeah. And so I was actually, you know, after watching it, um, I I was like, okay, okay, like I'm 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 glad I did this because I realized like the shit that he's talking about. I'm like, this is not what I stand for at all. So I I was just I was glad to to sort of find that relief. I'm like, okay, I'm actually I don't believe in, in this bullshit. So I it just it sort of reinforced that people are sort of insane when they when they call me these things. But long story <laughs> short, what I'm trying to get at here. Is that to sort of? Uh, I want to flex my philosophical muscles here. Do it. So, there, the left and the right are part of traditions, right? There, there is a, uh, there are historical contingencies to why they've uh, arisen, right? So, conservatives, oftentimes, you know, what sort of defines conservatism or what absolutely defines it is based in tradition. There is a lot of uh, pragmatism that is built in. There is a kind of realism and pessimism that comes in as well. You know, like, look, if it works, you know, it's sort of like, you know, how uh, how people conservatives talk about the economy. Like, hey, this is this is just how it works, baby. Like, if you don't like it, then you don't, you know, if you don't like the game, then, then don't play it. Right. right. This is just how it is. And a lot of times people on the left, like, they react pretty harshly to that. They're like, well, that's fucked up. Like, a lot of people are dying or, or impoverished. And, like, it, the, maybe the game shouldn't be this way. Maybe we can fix it. And so the left, uh, on the other side of things, is also part of this tradition where they have uh, come out of forms of, well, if you look at progressivism and, and sort of its origins, you know, there's a lot of, there's utilitarianism in there, but there's also deontology and there's also uh, idealism, right? And this is different than pragmatism or, or realism. Idealism is this, uh, you know, sort of mode of thinking where like there is a place out there that is the true form of of the world and everything here is just representations of that and progressives within their historical traditions 
use that idealism as a form of like now i'm going to say utopia but obviously that doesn't capture the full scope of of what progressivism is but they have an ideal about the what the world should be well and i think too, you know, and, when it comes to equality and egalitarianism right? yeah sorry to cut you no, off no no you're fine um, i just wanted to say that and so that has logical consequences of how you view the world and the thing is is like those are very two different things and so when conservatives and progressives try to talk to one another and fail to see where those philosophical traditions arise from, then they're going to view that the other side as like, well, that doesn't make any fucking sense to view the world that way. And so that's where I think, you know, part of the communication is uh, breaking down. No, you're not wrong. I just wanted to make a clarifying point as, as the, as the progressive um, in my own room, because you're not in the same room as me. Um <laughs> Is simply that as an you know yes there's a huge proponent of progressivism or even any sort of humanistic or or leftist kind of thinking that has to deal with the huge amount of ideology involved and you know and and these almost in a sense a, a pseudo fantastical thinking um, of what you would want the of the world to look like but I think our, our main case is trying to say that look at history and show that tradition is not always. You know, the world was ran by monarchies for a long time before we switched over to this more of a of, of a traditional or classical liberal system. And look how mm. cl- look at how the idea of, you know, back then classical liberalism was also deemed to be against tradition. You know, it wasn't the way that things were done. This is not how we do this. And and, right. and look at how that idea hung true. And now we have the system that we have now all paved the way through this classic liberal thinking and this this whole thing where the Republicans are saying that, well, this is tradition. This is the way that it is. Like, if you don't like it, get out. Well, it's like, this is not always the way that it was. Like we are now, you know, this whole idea of freedom or this, this democracy that we have in America is way different than, than what has been established in the past. So obviously change is possible. So obviously people that had ideas turned them from ideological into realistic. We've seen that shift Mm -hmm. happen before. And I just don't think that the main problem is, is when the left says, look, if a shift of ideology can, to, can work its way into realism, work its way into pragmatism, then why not try? But you're right. The left or the right just goes, I don't know what you mean. That that doesn't make sense. Like they just don't see that. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's that's again, you know, the part of the responsibility for the breakdown in community in communication. Uh, because, you know, often, you know, conservatives, you know, are typically uh, viewed as uh, um as uh opposed to change or at least drastic change you know sort of like why uh, a lot of people a lot of conservatives are are um against you know revolutionary type thinking right it's like whoa whoa whoa, we don't need to do that like how do you know that that's going to work out and a lot of times um conservatives are are not um uh they're opposed to taking more risks true and this might be this might be a bad faith argument here but it's like well you know if 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 you if you didn't have the fire of revolution like America wouldn't even be here. Like, you know, you try to say that I mean, right. in that kind of sense where it's like if people that were being taxed and wanted to make their own money, if they just thought, you know what? Shit, this is just the way it is. Tradition. You know what I mean? Then they wouldn't have had the Revolutionary War and there wouldn't have been all kind of things. And there just wouldn't be, you know, what we have now. And sometimes that fails. Like, look, look at the Civil War. Like there you have a prime example of, of another people like, you know what? We need a revolution. Like somebody's trying to change the way that we structure stuff. And of course, a certain viewpoint had, had at least one, you know, so the Civil War, in a sense, is also kind of a, a, a in, in its own way. I'm using air quotes here because I'm probably saying this very loosely. Its own way, a revolution of a certain half of the country battling the other half of the country. 
and having an outcome you know move forward so i that's just that's just kind of like where my headspace is on the left and when i talk to people on the right that kind of say tradition you know and kind of say like this is just the way it is well i'm just like you know think bigger like you know ideology in Mm -hmm. a sense can turn into practicality can turn into actual change and that that boils down to right. what changes. It just wanted. takes action. Well, yeah, but it, I think it, it comes in because for somebody that kind of understands more of the right, I mean, what is essentially the goal here? That this idea of lack of change, or you know, to me, I have a hard time, you know, seeing policies where it's like, you know, for example, when I look into, like, okay, so when you find out that most of the drugs that go on the private market are, are publicly funded, our tax dollars are used to fund that. Like that should irritate some people. You know, for me, I, I just think that it should. You know, or there's certain things where it comes to my quality of life and what I'm able to do and the decisions or the choices that I've been told I have to make. Like, I just wish some of those decisions had a better capability to make them. And that would apply to everybody, you know, not just a few people. But and again, this is why I guess it boils down back to the pandemic where it's like, you know, the, these Republican senators that are that are literally saying that, like, the economy shutting down is not worth saving these lives. Like I, mm-hmm. they're not saying it that bluntly, you know, but, but essentially when you boil down all of it, that's kind of what it, they're saying. They're just saying that like this approach of tanking the economy, what they think it's going to tank should have not have happened. And like, we should not be, yeah, people die. It just happens. You know, that's kind of their argument about that. I don't know. What do you, what do you feel about that? Do you think I'm, am I being disingenuous there? Is that, do you, do you also I mean I, I don't think you're being entirely disingenuous. I think that there's part of it that you know conservatives and republicans aren't looking at it that way. You know they, they you know they're not necessarily going out of course like you said. They're not going and saying that like oh you know just people die. You know that's just we're just Some of them are though. I think I mean yeah yeah you're you're right. I mean not and, all of them. I don't think that's but... Yeah, I mean I don't I don't think everybody, you know. No, you're right. You're right. It's not like a huge coalition of republicans, but there have been a few, you know, that have made similar claims sure sure and i think uh, however though that that the economic case is a strong one because you know when people again we've talked we've belabored this over and over again so i won't go uh, very deep into it but when people don't know how are they're going to be fed and they just have to rely on the government to provide for them maybe like i are we getting the stimulus check when is that happening who knows uh you know like i've filed for unemployment for uh four weeks straight yet four weeks straight now and i've been denied every time sure uh and that you know like but that's part of the why should i be relying on that when it hasn't been working yeah but that's that's the point though that's like that's what's funny like we're now even having this that's the point of the left the left is trying to say it's like the no i uh, look essentially the argument goes that if if we had this 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 humanistic approach of trying to make sure that everybody was taken care of in our country you know then when things like this happen you know when there are moments that we may have to rely on a higher power per se um it's not a fucking shit show you know like it like it has been and it's just more of i guess should i i'm just confused by do you think that it should just well, be like natural i guess where what is your opinion on like do you think that it's it's just a it's just the circle of life like oh this pandemic sucks but it's like we can't just shut everything down we have to you know i'm not trying to say that i'm 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 pro shutting everything down i'm just trying to say that they should have yeah. acted appropriately and they should have put measures in place to keep us sustained before they made the decision to shut us down. That's what I think should have happened. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely on 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 that side of things. I I think there are ways we could have mitigated the effects of this and 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 had a much um, uh, lower because uh, lower curve. Agree. I just curve, look. Uh, some but, people, on the, you know, there might be again these these pessimistic thinkers or these conspiracy thinkers. You know, I I'm not again like I I live in a more optimistic headspace where. I I am sympathetic to why it was done. You know, the, again, it's all about context space where it's like the context of being worried about a, a about a disease that can wipe out a good portion, depending on, you know, epidemiologists and all these different things that are making these claims, whether it be the CDC or whoever. Like, yes, I may think it sucks and didn't want the government to shut down, but I'm not I don't think that there there's any malice intent as, as some others have. I'm just like, shit, they're trying to get a uh, sure. containment on it. They don't quite know what they're doing. You know what I mean? Because, again, it's it's been put on the governors. And so you have each governor mm-hmm. trying to make their own decisions. What's their, each state is kind of being differently until they're choosing to follow suit, which has made it longer. So Well, and right now there's like a, uh, a cooperation between the governors of uh, New York – or sorry, not New York, uh, but California, Oregon, and Washington, where our states are sort of getting together on trying to find – a reasonable time where we can all three sort of reopen our economies at the same time. Interesting. Rather, you know, because like Oregon, you know, we're sort of stuck in the middle, right? Where California and Washington are hit a lot harder than we are. And so realistically, we could probably get people back to work sooner than California or Washington. However, uh, Kate Brown, our governor is still, is trying to work with those governors, governor Jay Inslee and, and the governor of Washington and the governor of, of California. I don't know um, their name, but uh, they're trying, she's trying to work with them in order to try and reopen at the same time, you know, what's best for the West coast. Right. But let me, let me answer your question here. I, you know, because you asked me on like what you think we should have done. Gavin Newsom. And, uh, oh, Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, of the governor of California. Yes. I yeah. think that, um, I now granted, I mean, like, I don't want this pandemic, you know, to be spreading everywhere because, it, you know, obviously it's it has is very fatal. It's very contagious. Um, and well, it's not very fatal all the time, but it is certainly contagious and it can be absolutely fatal as, as it is. That has been shown. Um, and I don't want my loved ones getting sick. I don't want to get sick. Right. I, you know, I don't want you to get sick because who else am I going to talk to? And um, I love how you have to you know, clarify so I, I don't that. Want I love that. how you're like, you're, right. you're about to be super sweet. They're like, you know, what, Josh, I don't want you to get sick either. And I'm like, oh, and then you're like, because I would have nobody to talk to. I'm like, there it is. There yeah. it is. <laughs> there it is. Yep. Ding. Um, but I, I personally, th- I mean, I would rather be at work. Right. Sure. Uh, and, and for a lot of reasons, you know, one, like I can, you know, uh, I find a lot of meaning in work and, and it, I, I can make money right on my own. Well, you wouldn't move right? so Rather fast either. So, yeah. Right. Exactly. And um, but the, the other thing is here is realistically, the economy wouldn't need to be shut down if people could pra- practice like perfect hygiene. Now, obviously, that's a lot to ask of people. But, you know, when you're sick, stay at home. Right. How many excuses do you hear from? I and I know you've you've had this before, Josh, where you you know you are a manager of a of a restaurant, and uh, people have come into work and they're a little sick, and you're like, oh, how you doing? It's like ah, I've got a little bit of a cold, but I'm okay. Stay the fuck home. Don't come into work. Now, granted, it it sort of hurts the business if you have to like call out, you know, but. Stay home if you're sick. See, I feel like you wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. Yeah, but, no, hold on. Let me. Okay, all right. Finish. Let me say this cause... for a second. You know how many times in in a normal day when we're not when there's not a pandemic going on? How many times have you used a public restroom, Josh, where you've gone in and you see one guy, you know, finish? And of course, I mean, we're assuming that we're going in the in the men's restroom. But how many times do you see somebody, you know, get out of the stall 
or 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 step away from the urinal and just leave without washing their hands. I know that I know that you've seen that like multiple times in your oh, life yeah. because I I've seen it. I practice, it's absolutely disgusting. I mean, I lick I lick every bathroom I go into just to make sure that <laughs> the whole bathroom, the whole bathroom, that you lick the entire bathroom with your tongue but, and your no, butt. No, but Ian, before, but I'm saying, okay, but I'm saying, right. Josh, though, it's like the reason why this pandemic is spread is because people are just generally don't practice cleanliness. Yeah, but here's the irony like, of all this all. You you this is the problem. You make claims like if you're sick just stay home from work. And you fail to acknowledge context. Like this is the thing. You you're failing to to pay attention to these people. This is why the left is trying to 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 use this as a springboard. I in my opinion. Uh-huh. Is you're right. Like in a normal context if you don't feel well, don't spread it to others. Wash your hands, don't go to work. But what if they cannot afford to not go to work? You know, thankfully, Oregon is a state that has has paid sick leave. But if if most people understand the way that Oregon's laws work is you is when you're employed, you accumulate an hour and a half for every 30 hours worked. That's that's how our sick leave works. So let's say that you, you know, maybe you got sick and you took that sick leave and then you didn't ask for it, but you got COVID-19. You don't have any more sick hours to claim. You know, and let's say this is before the economy shut down. It's like there was no measures in place to have people be financially okay that had to. This is why it's so ironic, because all of us that don't that couldn't stay home from work, we now are being forced to stay home from work because it's spread. You know, but this Mm -hmm. is the thing where it's like a lot of, you know, there are a few of my staff members that legitimately just go like, I can't afford to not be here. Like if I can yeah. work extra hours, if I can do this, like whether it be paycheck to paycheck or, you know, sometimes we have where one of my staff members, their their spouse might be pregnant. There's so many different contexts in where like just staying home, like that doesn't put money in the bank. You know what I mean? They're going to, f- and it's not practical for everybody else to go to work. Yes, you're right. It spreads disease. But when you're focused on you and your family and you need a paycheck, you're going to go and get that paycheck. You know, it's like, and, and I will even admit this, like I'm guilty even in my past of, of working jobs. And, you know, now I'm a little bit better off, thankfully, but I've been in positions in before where I have, I couldn't afford to, to not be at work even no matter how sure. I felt. Yeah. And, and Josh, you know, look, I, I mean, I hear you, sure. I hear what you're saying and, and I'm on board. I think this I just is had to at least the... say that on Mike, <laughs> good, good. <laughs> you know, for my conscious, just to make sure that you don't look like the asshole and let me, well, uh, no, I just like think it. it's um, important. It's but... important thought to, to at least consider, and that's my biggest thing when it comes to, again, boy, I'm back down when we talk about the left and the right. The main thing that I think is going on between both sides is we're just failing. We're assuming intent and we're failing to to consider context of the individual. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah for sure. I also think, too, like this is sort of me being a consequentialist, right, where, you know, if if we all stayed home when we were sick from work. You know, yeah, like, okay, if you miss one or two days, like, you know, that might be a big hit to your paycheck. One, I think businesses should be better about uh, about having sick leave for employees just across the board. But two, you know, if if people stayed home when they're sick and not spread it, then they don't get other people sick. And then the economy doesn't get shut down because there's a pandemic spread. And now everybody has to stay home. Good. Right? I think uh, th- everything has these little ripples. Well, here's now, this is what we're doing. Uh, it's again, this is another battle between, between you know, the, you're, you're coming at this very pragmatically. <laughs> you are, this is a very pragmatic view of this. It's like, Hey, you don't, you know, the, you know, it's like, Hey, if you're sick, don't go out. You're going to get people think that that's a pragmatic, simple view. And for me, I'm adding like, 
more of like, no, like you have to think about the person and what's going on. And there's a little bit. <laughs> of course. I know. So like we right <laughs> now. Classic Josh. I know that. But, classic humanist. But what's funny, exactly. But we have this thing of a pragmatist and a humanist. And, and we're seeing live right now what is going on on a grand scale on multiple different topics and just this. I automatically think it kind of breaks down to what we just said. I feel like on average, majority of the people on the left think in more of a humanist mind frame. They, they, they hear what the right is saying, but they're like, no, no, no you don't get the, the suffering or the, the background of the person and the system that the person has been put into that has to do this. And people that are pragmatists are like, no, like if, if you don't feel well, just stay home. It's not rocket science. Like, and I don't, they're not trying to be rude in that approach. Does that make sense? They're just trying to be honest yeah, in yeah, the sense of, of like, in the simplistic answer, this is what we got to do. And so this is really a fun that we kind of got down this realm because it really just kind of uh, highlights, you know, exactly what's going on because you know, I, I get you on what you're saying. I agree with you from a pragmatic point of view, but I don't think <laughs> right. that way. I don't think in a pragmatic point of view. So that's why I think it's going to be fun. It's really going to be fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I think I, I don't really have anything more to say uh, on on uh, this stuff. Um, and I'll, I'll let you say whatever last piece you have. But then I think uh, we could probably uh, do our closing. Segment yeah, sure. And yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, the, the only the only th- last thing I'll say is I I am just curious to see, you know, with because the way that I view the world, again, in my optimistic humanist kind of mind frame, I do say that like having the hospitals be overran and a lot of people struggling with care and a lot of people, didn't, there are questions that are being posed that I think are right to be posed during this pandemic. Now, do I think it's right to assume that that, that means by default that the progressive agenda is absolutely superior? No. But do I believe that these pose good conversations and possibly good debates to come? Yes. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens in November. And I'm really curious to see how people are going to handle Biden when he eventually or possibly does take the nomination. And uh, we're just going to keep our fingers crossed. And I'm just curious to see if we're going to get four more years of Trump. So obviously, listeners, we're going to be covering more of this shit once we get kind of in the thick of it. Um, once all this is over and we're kind of back into the swing of actual uh, big old votes and, and we'll see what happens and we'll just cover it from there. That's all I got. Right. Um, OK, so. Uh, for our last me- segment that we uh, mm-hmm. started on our last time, uh, I want to do our read, watch, and play. Uh, so, Josh, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you playing? Yes. So, right now, I am. Uh, what I'm reading is I am now, I guess, 260 pages into Return of the King. So, I am almost finished um, getting through the. Is that another like? Uh, that's a, like another socialist Marxist Bernie Sanders uh, crap, right? <laughs> Yeah, Sorry. yeah. The, Tolkien Sorry. exactly what Tolkien meant. He just uh, he totally yeah. meant to to have it all be in my allergy. no. <laughs> but um, I'm actually just almost finished with the Lord of the Rings series, and and of course, uh, your wife so graciously uh, gave me a book called Jean, I believe is the name of it. Oh yeah, it's like is it the Jean? I can't. Uh, remember, that's going to be the one I'm going to be starting next. So I'll talk a little bit more about that. But I really am interested. And then of course, I have yet to open them. But eventually, I'll open the books you got me when it gets closer to my birthday. And um, Ian got me books for my birthday in case you didn't catch it on the NBS News episode, but I will be checking those out. So for playing, I actually just started uh, Final Fantasy 15. Um, so, okay. yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, again, I just, I downloaded the, the Game Pass trial and it's been trying stuff on, on my Xbox. And so that has been kind of fun to play. And, and it's it's been interesting because it's it's very much, you can tell that they took a lot of Western 
um, sandbox RPG elements and laid them over a Final Fantasy game. Yeah. So that the, yeah. it's, it's so far it's been entertaining. Graphics have been beautiful. That's been a lot of fun. And then uh, watching is uh, I would say that I of course I'm I finish I finished all of Shit's Creek. It's a very funny show. Um, the Levy Brothers. It's on Netflix. But I will say that I will admit to our listeners I am into like garbage TV. <laughs> I really <laughs> and what I mean by that is I really love like the CW just teen dramas. I don't know why like I just so there's a show called Legacies. That's thespian in you. Yeah, it is. It is. So th- there's a show called if most people remember this I'm really going to people are just going to laugh when I say this. So there was a show called Vampire Diaries. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm la- and, I'm laughing I know them, and <laughs> I I like that show so I watched it and they've had some spin-offs. They had a show called The Originals which is a spin-off from that show which I wasn't too to a fan of but there's a new show called legacies i guess new but the second season is on netflix now and it's essentially it's it's vampire diaries but it's like a lot of their kids you know when they're in high school so it's like a second generation in and again it's just all about magic and magic and mystery and and i'm just kind of all encompassing in the fantasy realm right now like when i'm reading what i'm playing and what i'm watching are all in like the the fantasy vein so and now you go i'm done talking Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah. So um, let's see. What am I uh, playing right now? Um, well, I just uh, I've been playing sort of a few games. I, I picked up uh, Doom Eternal, which came out. In March. Oh, you did pick that up. Um, yeah. And um, I got I just got through the like like first level a little bit, and I was like, whoa, okay. I haven't played a shooter in a while, and so I needed to like take a step back, and and so I I downloaded a long time ago the Call of Duty uh, Modern Warfare Remastered. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know what? It's been a long time since I played this. And it's a lot more of like a, it, an ease back into shooters. And so I played that and beat that. I actually just beat it uh, today. And I was just like, oh, you know what? Like, it wasn't that great, but it was <laughs> it was something. And then I, I started um, uh, Titanfall 2 on, on PS4. And uh, so far, it's been a pretty good game. It's like a mech you know first person oh, shooter. Oh, yeah. That's the same, uh, uh, same, same, creators, uh, same creators of Apex Legends. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then let's see, what am I watching? Um, a few days ago I watched, <laughs> the predator, uh, this the 2018 sort of sequel reboot to, uh, the predator movies. Um, and it was directed by Shane black. And if you know anything about Shane black, he was in the original predator as an actor, but he's done a bunch of comedy movies. Uh, he's directed a bunch of comedy movies. Uh, he directed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with uh, Robert Downey That's Jr. That's a fantastic movie. Right. And then he also directed... Um, uh, uh, God, what is it called? Shit. I can't remember the name of it. Um, I'll, I'll think of it later and I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but it's a great movie between two cops. Uh, God, Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan Gosling. Uh, the Nice Guys. It's a great fucking hilarious movie but i watched the predator because I've, I've been a big fan of 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 the franchise and i wanted to just see it and i i knew that it wasn't a good movie i i knew it got bad reviews um but i watched it anyway because it was free on hbo and oh man it was a bad it, it was it was bad <laughs> uh, i mean just like the editing was so shoddy there's like all this like unnecessary like humor that like doesn't belong um like the story like just it doesn't really make sense um and the way like the dialogue comes across and like the way scenes transition i'm like oh okay we're here now it's it was just it was such a bad 
bad movie. Um, and uh, let's see, what else? What's the other thing? Read, watch, and uh, and play. So let's uh, see, reading. I am still reading Maul Flanders for this um, uh, English class that I'm in, and it's it's it's. I'm probably gonna phone it in the rest of the book. It's 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 absolutely uh, uh, a bore, and uh, I fall asleep uh, reading it literally, <laughs> and so. Um, Power your way yeah, I, right. Exactly. So, um, other than that, I mean, I think, um, I, I don't have anything else to say. So no, the um, other thing I will say is I'm excited for when you finally get to read your fancy dancy edition of Dune. Yes. I'm very excited about it. Um, you know, and, uh, what's funny too, is like, I've been just like sort of hyping myself up about it because like I got this nice edition of it and I, you know, just reading the first few pages, like, Oh fuck, this is good. And I watched the David Lynch uh, adaptation of it uh, that came out in like 84 or 85. Um, and I watched that the other day and man, it was very, it was so ridiculous, but it was a great movie. And, but I'm really excited for uh, the, the newer adaptation of it that's coming out in December, or at least the first half of it um, from the director, uh, Denis Villeneuve, who directed uh, the recent Blade Runner sequel and he directed Arrival and Sicario um uh, and a few other movies and he he's an absolutely amazing director and i think he's really going to treat this new adaptation um uh incredibly well Well, good i'm like so. so i guess with that um thank you guys for for tuning in of course next week on monday look out for our nbs news episode and uh, i hope you guys enjoyed and we'll see you next time yeah bye, bye. Uh, everything that guy just says bullshit thank you